This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, Episode 14. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. So on our last episode, we interviewed Billy Decker and... It was really fun. It it was really really educational for us. Uh, for me, it it was you know frankly one of the the reasons we wanted to do this podcast was it's an excuse for us to reach out to amazing people and get them to mentor us as they mentor you for a good hour or two. There was one thing in particular that Billy Decker said that blew our minds. Um, and you don't have to have listened to that episode for this episode to make sense. We're going to go off one quote. You know, we asked him about his business, and he said. He was talking about social skills and how he loves on people well and treats them with kindness. And what he ended up saying that was so shocking was we asked him, you know, how much of your business would you say is social skills? And he said, 98%. This guy has 13 number one hits, maybe 14 as of this week. And social skills are 98% of his secret to success. How many of us as audio engineers, you know, we're notorious as a group for not having social skills. How shocking is that to hear someone at the top of his game that's internationally renowned for being amazing at this stuff that says social skills are 98% of his business. So our episode today is going to be about social skills as an essential part of your business. It's probably the most undervalued skill you can have as a business owner. Social skills are without a doubt a multiplier and no matter how good you are at audio, no matter how good of an engineer you are, no matter how good of a musician you are, in the absence of social skills, you will likely not have a six-figure home studio. So here's my conversation today with Brian Hood. So me and Brian were talking about what Billy Decker said about social skills before we started recording today. And we learned about something we have in common, and that is when we were both producing, that we thought being a good producer meant having really excellent criticism for our artists. So I, in a a much younger portion of my life, was a pole vaulter. What? And uh, I used to pole vault. So you Literally pole vault? Yes. You run as fast as you can with a 14-foot pole. (laughs) This is new to me. Jam it in the ground and try to jump up on top of it, and it's fun. And try not to wring your nuts. Yes, you have to be not sane to do it because it's very dangerous. (laughs) Anyways, so I was a pretty intense guy. So a common production technique for me was I would record somebody. They'd do a chorus and I would say, that sucked. Get back in there. You can do better than that. Anyone who has ever recorded with me right now is listening to you saying, that sounds exactly like Brian Hood. I used to say that exact line. 10 times a day, if not more. This is how I approached my communications with artists in the studio. Basically, they would do a take. I would immediately tell them that that was the worst thing I ever heard in my life and to do it again. And I would like halfway be joking. I would have a smile on my face so that they would, you know, take it lightly. And most of the time they did, but at the core, I really meant it. I would be like, that was awful. I was not a good person back then. I wasn't good at communicating. I wasn't good at telling people, you know, supporting them in the studio and making them feel comfortable. It was very much like 
I want perfection out of you. It was out of love for like wanting them to create good music and have good takes. It was in from coming from a good place, but it was absolutely toxic for anyone that recorded with me. Oh, ditto. Same. So funny story. Um, I'm married to a wonderful woman named Allison and she has one of the best singing voices I've ever heard. She's phenomenal, but we don't do anything with it. We, you know, we have a family and hang out with our kids pretty much. When we first got engaged, she wrote a song for me and we went to the studio and recorded it. And I'll never forget. This was sort of like uh, a perfect example of my complete lack of social graces in the studio. She recorded the first take and I don't remember what I said, but I communicated, let's try that again. And she burst into tears and like I'm sitting in the booth. We're separated by the glass and you know, what do you mean? That wasn't good enough. I mean, every word of it. And it was this sort of like, oh man, I'm so bad at this. If I can't talk to her in the studio in a way that like brings out her best, I have no business trying to produce other people for a living. And the the thing that makes this so funny is I don't think our stories are very, are very uncommon. Yeah. I, I know a lot of people that have this style of producing. Yeah. When you talk to a producer or an audio guy, there's tends to be this sort of air of superiority and I know what I'm doing and you don't and you are in my domain when you're in the studio and this sort of condescension and man I embodied that as a producer I had I had no idea how bad I was at producing until like maybe six years after I stopped doing it (laughs) and as as I like learned about how to uh, love my wife better or get along with other people more I looked back at my career as a producer and was like, oh my gosh, I was so bad at this. So this is something, you know, when Billy Decker said that 98% of his business were his social skills, I didn't get that as a, as a younger man. And it was, it was really eye-opening for me. Um, you know, I would say a considerable percent of my business are social skills, probably not quite to 98%, but they probably should be. And that's, that's eye-opening. I think for a lot of people that are, that are listening, that are trying to make a go at it, that are trying to build a career as a studio owner, this idea that this guy with 13 or 14 number one hits credits his social skills for 98% of it is pretty mind-blowing. So the thing about that interview that was most interesting, if you go back and listen to that, it's episode 13. Billy, he's not a super business guy. If you listen to the interview, he's not super like, you know, Chris is a a very much like a spreadsheet kind of guy. He like knows his numbers. He knows, you know, all of the ins and outs of what you would consider business stuff. Billy Decker, he's very much a creative. He very much wants to work in a studio every day, all day. And neither me or Chris have ever reached the income level that Billy Decker has reached. Yeah, so true. For him to say it is 98% social skills, he is not lying. Like you, you have to go listen to the interview if you haven't listened to it already, but that is the reality of it. Now there's a lot of other stuff that comes into it. He's great at what he does. The core of it is there, but there are a lot of people that are as good as Billy Decker at mixing that are nobodies. So when you look at those people and then you compare them to Billy Decker, that is the big thing that stands out the most is his ability to make people feel liked, to make people feel like they're important, to make people feel at ease, to make people feel like they've connected with him. He has a very much a a Southern charm to him. <laughs> and, and there's a lot that goes into that. Yeah. So I think the, you know, as we're going to kind of dive into this episode, the first kind of item we wanted to talk about, and a lot of this, you know, some of the fun of recording this podcast is I get to preach to myself from 10 years ago. 
I just get to think about, man, if I could go back in time and tell myself from 10, 15 years ago, here's what you're doing wrong. It'd be a really long list. But this podcast is kind of a way to preach to myself and to reinforce these ideas for me. You know, I still uh, consider myself a student of this stuff and I don't think that's ever going to change. And that's probably a good thing. Pastor Graham here preaching to himself every single week. So yeah, I think the, the, the most important thing, you know, we hit on is, is being kind and being compassionate and helping people become better versions of themselves by encouraging them, not just by like trimming away all the bad parts that you think could be removed. And that in itself, from a social skill perspective, I had an epiphany a few years ago. I read a book called Switch by Chip and Dan Heath. We've talked about their other book, Made to Stick, on the podcast in the past. Just finished uh, their latest book, Moments, yesterday. They're, uh, they're some of my favorite authors. And they talked about, you know, when you're changing cultures, when you're trying to work with other people, that sometimes it's considerably more effective to find what's going well in that relationship or in the work that they're doing and encouraging them where it's going well, as opposed to the flip side of the coin, which is figuring out what they're bad at and just railing on them for it. And that is where I have fallen short many, many times in my own career is it is so easy to spot the negative in people. It is really, really easy to spot the negative and no one will have a problem going down a list of items they hate about their coworkers, they hate about their ex-girlfriends. But if you have to create a list of things that are truly valuable about people or that you truly like about people, it's a lot more difficult than you think at first glance. And it's because we just naturally gravitate, at least I do, and I'm sure Chris does, and a lot of the listeners here gravitate towards the negative in people. And that's something that's very hard to break away from, but you have to find a way to get away from that. Yeah, so I think one of the interesting things about that is is to kind of bring this home for for everyone listening. You need to think about would your clients walk away from working with you and let's say you were you helped them demolish the bad things that they do. You didn't like how they ended their notes on certain phrases or you didn't like um how their timing was a little bit loose on their guitar playing in the bridge. So you just cut them up, cut them apart on that. Or you didn't like how lightly they picked with their guitar with their right hand, bitch picking as I call it. <laughs> so are they going to walk away and say, man, when I worked with that producer and he just absolutely called out all the things I'm terrible at, I need more of that in my life. No one has ever said that in their lives. They may be happy. And this is the only thing that got me through this is they were so happy with the final product that that was what they finally remembered at the very end of it. They forgot two years later when they came back to record again, they forgot how horrible of an experience it was, you know, like physically, socially, it was a horrible experience for them, but the end product was so good. They kept coming back. It was like this weird negative thing that happened, but it, you know, that's the only thing that got me through my career though, was the fact that my final product was great Ditto. and they may feel like shit when they left the studio. But at the end of the day, they were so happy with the final product. So there is a way to have a great final product and not have them feel like shit at the end of the day. Yeah. And the flip side of that coin is I'm imagining if I had done things a little differently, if people walked out and said, wow, when Chris really encouraged me and said, you're really good at falsettos, we need more falsettos in your song because you have a natural gift there. You're the best falsetto singer that I know. Falsetto is when you go, that was amazing. Hey, I do what I can. So anyways, when someone walks away from an interaction with you and you've nurtured a part of them and said, you have potential in this area, that's what people remember. I'll never forget when one of my good friends, my mentor, uh, his name was Chris Pyle, when I was in college, said to me, Chris, you're good at mastering. You could do this for a living. No one had ever said that to me. I'd never considered it. 
until Chris Pyle said it and it changed my life. So it's that sort of encouragement of, hey, here's something you're amazing at. There was plenty that my friend Chris Pyle could have pointed out and said, Chris, you really need to stop doing this particular thing or you really need to stop talking in this way or using this phrase or, I mean, the list, I mean, it would have taken like a small book for him to list out all the different things he could have said. You'll be a better man if you stop these things. But instead he said, boy, you're good at this. You have potential here and that's life-changing and that's how you change people's lives and that's, I think, a big part of why you'd want to work with somebody a second time. So let's dive into that. One of the things me and Brian have been talking about a lot lately is Donald Miller. Donald Miller um, has sold millions of books. Uh, his most famous one was called Blue Like Jazz. I read it as a 19-year-old, I think 19-year-old, somewhere around in there. Really, really cool guy. Uh, I had the joy of meeting him uh, in my early 20s. Um, I was a musician on tour and he was a speaker at an event I was at. Really, really sharp guy. Yeah, I've met him a couple of times. I met him, uh, he's, I mean, he lives in International. I run into him a couple of times and then I've met him on a, on a flight to uh, San Diego for a conference he was speaking at. We were on the same oh, flight. Oh, that's so awesome. Talk to him, yeah. Well, he's great and he's been talking a lot about story in regards to business. He has a company called Story Brand and I listened to a podcast that he was on just a couple of days ago and it just rocked my face off. And bottom line, the big thing he brought home that's applicable for us was something that most businesses do wrong. Most businesses tell a story and in that story, the business or the person who runs the business is the hero. One of the ways that you can have great social skills and love on people well is to recognize that you're not the hero in the story. You are serving someone in this industry and they are the hero. The artist should always be the hero in the story. And when you cast yourself as the, the hero and them as just you know, somebody who's passing through, it's not going to go well for you over the long term. Not, never, ever, ever, ever. Look at it like this. Every single artist that you work with has their own goals, their own hopes, fears, dreams, desires. And they're going to look at you in one of two ways. Can this person, can this producer help us achieve our hopes, dreams, and desires and goals or whatever? Can they, can they help us reach that or not? And if the communication, if what you say, if what you do, not only just your social skills, but all of the ways that you portray yourself online through your website, through social media, through your conversations and email, all of these things add up to answer that question to them. So if they can't answer that question with a yes, this man can get us to our hopes, fears, and dreams and desires. This person can help us reach our goals. Then you're going to have a very hard time ever getting anyone to work with you. So that is one big breakthrough that you need to have that is you are not the hero of the story. You are simply the guide that is there to get them to their final destination in their journey. Yeah, unfortunately the podcast, I love reading books because I can read something amazing and I can highlight it. With a podcast, you can't really go back and see what Brian just said and highlight that. But if you could, you should. Really, really, really valuable paradigm shifting stuff. And yeah, Donald Miller talked about this idea of, of, of seeing yourself as a guide, not as a hero. And so I think a great illustration here is your client is Frodo Baggins, man. He's the hero. You are, if you're lucky, Gandalf. You're not the hero. You don't get to throw the ring into the volcano. You get to help, like maybe guide him on his way and help him achieve his full potential. And I think that's one of the most important things in the service industry period, not just in audio, you have to do well. 
You have to see yourself as a guide. And Brian hit the nail on the head. If people don't think that you can help them accomplish their hopes, dreams, and goals, they won't hire you. Period. End of story. So if you're going out there and saying, I'm a hero, I'm so good at this, come let me show off. Look at my gear list. Look at my gear list. It's not going to work. And you have to treat people in a way that reflects that. Not just like, could you back away from my vintage U87? You're a little bit too close and you're popping the piece. Oh my gosh, that was amazing. Whatever accent that was. But the thing is, like, you have to look at it from the artist's perspective. What are they trying to do? Why are they even recording with you or having you master their songs or having you mix their songs in the first place? And it is simple. It's for most bands or most serious artists, they probably want to get signed if they're not already. Or if they are signed, they are on a label. They want to release music. They want to sell a lot of albums. They want to be famous. They want to tour the world. They want to live out their rock star dreams. And, you know, it can that story is going to change slightly from artist to artist, but it's going to be something in that vein, something similar to that. And if you can look at every interaction you have with every potential client that you have from their eyes with that sort of outlook, then when you're talking to them, when you're interacting with them, when you're communicating with them, it is so much easier for you to properly have a good foundation and properly approach every conversation because you understand what they want. And until you understand what they want, you are going to flounder helplessly and hopelessly in the doomed hell of bad social skills where you will, for all eternity, be the person that when you are talking, people just want you to stop. Whatever you're saying, people just want you to stop saying it. If you fail to understand that one thing, people are just going to tune you out and it's going to be a very tough time for, for you. Yeah. So be Gandalf. Don't pretend that you're Frodo because when you pretend that you're Frodo, you're Gollum. Oh gosh. Oh. <laughs> or what's the terrible Star Wars creature? Jar Jar Binks? Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. Oh, don't get me started. Well, worst character ever created. Well, so one of the things that's helpful as far as looking at things from your client's perspective, I always like to explain this to people when I'm working with somebody is I'll say to an artist on the phone, look, I get it. It's your music. Putting your music out in the public eye is kind of like publishing naked photos of yourself. <laughs> people are going to look at those photos and they're going to have an opinion. They're not going to say, no one's going to look at a naked photo of you and say, eh, it's not going to happen. It's either going to be damn, or it's going to be, oh, gross. And that's how it is when you put your music out there. Except instead of them just thinking your body looks gross or beautiful, they're going to look at it and say, I think his soul is lovely. Or, wow, he seems like a probably terrible person <laughs> because music is that personal. Those are the stakes when you're putting your music out. And we have a huge, huge responsibility as people who are in the artist service industry to help people do that well. It's an important part of society. I really believe that. And when we help people, put their best foot forward, but also when we create an environment where they are free to be their true selves and put themselves out there, that's a beautiful thing. And it makes a life worth living when there's great art like that. So that's the job. Our job isn't to be Gollum and to just hamper the hero and try to steal his glory. So let's move on to talk about your interactions with clients, specifically in the studio or specifically, we talked about this a little bit beforehand, but just people have a, a tendency to focus on negatives, right? And because of that, and this is what I was guilty of a lot in my past, I always was a dick. 
out of humor. That was my sense of humor was just being a dick to people. And see, I didn't use, I didn't do it to be funny. I just was a dick. <laughs> it wasn't to be funny necessarily, but I tried to make it funny because it was so over the top. And that was my sense of humor. It was just over the top criticisms. You're the, that was the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. You were doomed to fail. Your career is doomed. You know, stuff like that. That was just really, really negative. No, say no to that. That is a mistake that I made that I should have never done because being critical and dogging on people like that, that is not funny in any way, shape or form. Even if you have a smile on your face when you do it, and even if they laugh, because even if they laugh at the back of their mind, either brings up doubt in their head and that'll ruin their performance in the studio and their experience in the studio. Or two, they secretly hate you. They know that you at least partially meant it. Yep, exactly. And so neither one of those two things are what you want in the studio when you're communicating with clients, when you're trying to bring out the best performance from them. Before we get into the podcast today, let me tell you a little something crazy about myself. I'm actually a psychic and I'm going to prove it to you. You and I, we've probably never met, but I bet I can describe your business better than you can. Here's what my crystal ball says. You probably have no idea how to get clients other than waiting around for referrals and word of mouth. You're stuck in a perpetual cycle of feast or famine. So you have wild income swings from month to month. You're charging way less than you should and you know it, but you don't do anything about it. You feel like you have a million things you could be doing in your business and you have no idea what you should be focusing on. And you have tons of little half-built bridges leading to nowhere because you've jumped from thing to thing to thing as a dabbler. Am I right? Does this sound eerily similar to you? That's because I've been in your shoes and I've worked with thousands of freelancers who've also been there. So I'm not a psychic. My crystal ball is not real. I just have a really clear understanding of what freelancers are facing today. And if I can predict your problems, you can bet I actually have a solution to these problems. It's called client acquisition. We talk about this all the time on the podcast, but for some reason, freelancers still haven't really figured this out yet. This is why I created Clients by Design Coaching. It's a truly unique coaching program that helps you build your own client acquisition machine so you can break out of this feast or famine cycle that most freelancers never escape. So here's how our approach is unique. First, we do a deep dive on your business, we figure out what's missing, and we give you a complete marketing roadmap right from the start. So no more dabbling, no more guesswork, just a clear path to getting more clients. You always know what your next step is because we actually assign specific tasks to you. So instead of feeling overwhelmed, instead of feeling scattered, you can just focus on your next step. That's it. We give you unlimited feedback on everything you do so you can feel confident that every single step you're taking is the right one. And we hold you accountable, not by nagging you, but just by genuinely supporting and cheering you on every step of the way. If you're behind on any steps we've assigned to you, we'll proactively reach out and see how we can help. Clients by Design is not a course. We look at it like a partnership. We'll always show up. We'll always give you what you need, but you have to be willing to put in the work. This program is not for everyone, and that is okay. As of right now, I just checked the numbers. We've only approved about 25% of the applicants we've gotten so far, and that's because we are selective. We only accept your application if we believe we can truly help you. So if you're ready to end your feast or famine cycle and build a client acquisition machine, you can apply for Clients by Design by going to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. That's the number six, figurecreative.com slash coach. Now here's our show. Yeah, so there's a book I read called The Art of Music Production uh, years and years and years ago. So it's not super fresh in my mind. But one of the things in there that was really fascinating to me is they talked about throughout history, there have been successful producers who get a good vibe in the room and then they shut up and they just sit on the couch and nod approvingly or say, mm, yeah, get it, stuff like that. And that was super surprising to me that they just tried to figure out their job. They saw their role as a producer was to see if they could get the ball rolling down the hill and maybe they would push that ball a little bit harder. 
There was no pushing the ball up the hill at all. It was just trying to create momentum in the studio. And that momentum was all about creating a nurturing environment. That fascinates me because it's completely the opposite of what I thought my job was as a producer when I first started out. Yeah, switching between this critical environment where everything is bad, you're focusing on the negative, how can you make this better? Instead of that, you're focusing on how can you nurture this environment, create a nurturing environment where, you know, what can I do to compliment them? What can I do to encourage them? What can I do to, you know, you do this very, very well. How can we get more of that out of you? And if you can focus on the positives, all of the negatives will naturally fall away, at least most of them. And then you can start picking away at the negatives uh, very selectively instead of focusing on them. By then it's just an afterthought. It's not the forefront of your conversations with these people. Yeah. So one of the illustrations um, that Chip and Dan Heath use is this illustration of a garden. And in a garden, you've got plants that you're trying to grow, and then you have weeds that come up as well. And the big issue, this nurture versus criticism, is that I, as a producer, used to just focus on pulling weeds in the studio. I'd see something that I didn't like, and I would pull the weed. What they recommend is quite the inverse, is don't worry about the weeds, just worry about nurturing the things that you want to happen to happen more. And that's really, really cool. So one of the things that you can do there that was really shocking to me, like really absolutely blew my mind. I'll never forget it. I was reading a book called The Team of Rivals, The Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln. And this book rocked my socks off. And I know what you're thinking. What does Abraham Lincoln have to do with me running a six-figure home studio? Well, if you're the type of engineer or producer that's just really overly negative and doesn't have good social skills, I think you're going to be pretty surprised by Abraham Lincoln's philosophy about how to deal with controversy, how to deal with criticism, how to deal with instructing people that you disagree with. And the big quote, I'm going to have two quotes from him here, is he talked a lot about you can get more flies with a dollop of honey than you can with a gallon of gall. Now, first of all, explain what gall is for the listeners. Just, it's the grossest thing you can possibly imagine. It's a, it's a bodily fluid. You don't want gall. And it's this idea that a gallon of gall is way less effective than a dollop of honey. This sort of criticism is nothing compared to just a little bit of the right type of good stuff. Honey being the good stuff. And this... You know, pardon me while I do this, guys. I'm a history nerd. I love Abraham Lincoln. I love revolutionary era stuff. I I read those types of books all the time. But this quote in particular, I come back to it constantly. And basically, here's the story. Abraham Lincoln had a friend who was a much younger um, officer in the army. And this officer got into a fight with somebody else who had disparaged Lincoln. So somebody wrote an article and it was like, Lincoln's terrible, he's awful. And this officer got into a very public fight with this other individual and they would write editorials back and forth at each other. This was the, you know, the old equivalent of a Twitter war. Yeah, there's a Twitter war going on. Somebody, you know, put a bad quote up about Abraham Lincoln. Somebody else refuted it and took it really personal and got really heated. Here's Abraham Lincoln's advice to the person defending him. He said, no man resolved to make the most of himself can spare time for personal contention. Still less can he afford to take all the consequences, including the vitiating of his temper. That means getting really, really, really angry and exhausted and the loss of self-control. 
yield larger things to which you can show no more than equal right and yield lesser ones, though clearly your own. Better to give your path to a dog than to be bitten by him in contesting for the right. Even killing the dog would not cure the bite. And I know this is super nerdy, so pardon me for that. Yeah, go ahead and unpack that for the listener. Basically, Lincoln is saying, don't get in fights. Even if you think you have the right of way, to burn a bridge isn't worth it. And oh my gosh, there are so many people that from my past that if they're listening to this episode would be like, oh my gosh, he finally gets it. He's not a jerk anymore. So this is such a big deal, this idea of even when you know that you're right, the getting into an argument about it on gear slots is probably a waste of your time. Yeah, this is actually straight from How to Win Friends and Influence People book is the only way to get the best of an argument is to avoid it altogether. Because even if you win, you are not going to get what you want. Can you imagine for a second, social media, specifically Facebook, if people didn't argue? Be pretty nice, actually. Be a lot better. Specifically, when you see people in the comments arguing over religion or politics or any other hot button issue that people have, guns, government, whatever it happens to be, people arguing in the comments it is exactly that. People that are not going to get what they want at the end of the day. They can say whatever they want, but they're not going to change anyone's mind. They just make themselves look like a dick by vehemently arguing their point to no one. And if you can avoid needless confrontations with clients, with potential clients, with friends, with even enemies, and instead put your head down and do your work and help as many people as you can by adding value to their lives, that will get you 90% of the way there, most likely. If you can just avoid this one area that a lot of people struggle in, which is just needless confrontation, needless argument with people for the sake of argument. That is one of my biggest pet peeves to see is when people just have to be right doesn't matter because you're still a dick at the end of the day and no one likes you. That's the problem. So yeah, that quote, I I know that might've been a little nerdy and that was probably mostly for me. So I apologize for that, but it's really important to understand that every time that you expend energy in the studio, that there was something else you could have expended that energy on as well. And if arguing with an artist or arguing with a client or arguing with another engineer is how you expended your energy, you could have invested that energy differently. And you could just edit it out later in Pro Tools. So move on and try to focus on the good stuff instead of trying to obsessively deal with the bad stuff. And that sort of brings us to our next point. And again, we're preaching it ourselves here. This idea of flexibility in being open to ideas. This is where Billy Decker shines, I think. Going back to that episode, I think he's just super, super easy to get along with. Very flexible, very open to ideas. He's not a super stubborn person. Um, that That's one area that I, that I really struggle with is stubbornness. You know, when I am set on something, that's the way I want it to happen. And there's very little that's going to get in my way of that changing. And that is what has burned a lot of bridges in my life and damaged a lot of relationships and kept people from coming back to me. Of course, I had repeat clients because of what I said earlier where the good outweighed the bad. But at the end of the day, if I could have been less stubborn, more flexible, more open to ideas, I would have had a much, much better career a lot faster. Absolutely. So yeah, that flexibility was something that was completely foreign to me as well. It was my way or the highway. And it's no surprise that when I was producing, I didn't get a lot of, I didn't get a lot of repeat customers. You know, I was prickly is a good word in the studio. And yeah, I regret that. Um, I can see now that that was unwise and unprofitable. 
and just generally not a way I want to live my life. So that's been really good for me. Our hope in this episode is that people that are running home studios or running studios or freelance audio engineers, whatever it is, that you're listening to this and recognizing that being able to like have memorized what the different color of labels on Neumann microphones means is less important than having good social skills. It's less important. And looking back at my life, if I could have 20% less technical knowledge and 20% more social knowledge, I would absolutely, absolutely make that trade every single time. So let's kind of wrap this episode up. Let's give them some resources that they can go to. If you are someone who is struggling with your social skills, you know you need to improve, what are some resources they can go to, Chris? Well, there's three books that we have in mind here. And if you're someone who doesn't read yet, uh, we just want to encourage you, just because you think you're not a reader doesn't mean you won't be someday. I used to be the guy that bragged about not reading a book since high school. I was that guy. And I look back on me saying that. I used to say, man, I haven't read a book since high school. (laughs) Now I look back on that with just absolute cringe. And I hated that I was that way. As soon as I discovered that the issues that I came across in my life that I hated, the things about me that I despised, the things that tore me down, the things that put me down that initial spiral that I went down in 2011 that I talked about. When I realized that there were books that taught me how to get over that stuff, there were books that taught me how to get past the little issues that added up to a, a million problems in my life. That was the time that I realized that I could actually take control of my own life and make changes for the better and build a life that I could enjoy instead of one that I dreaded to wake up to every day. Yeah. So this habit of self-educating by reading, that's what gives you the control in your own life. You know, I think any control or any success that me and Brian have gained in our own life, I think we would both pretty much 100% attribute to deciding to become lifelong students deciding to read. So here's three great resources. The first, this is especially good if you don't consider yourself a reader. There's a book called The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. It's very short. It's very good. It's written in story form, so it holds your interest easily. Just a parable. It's super easy to follow. Yeah, it's wonderful. And it has a very impactful lessons in there though. Yeah, it has super impactful lessons and sort of this idea, to sum it up, it's this idea that a go-getter will be less successful than a go-giver. By serving others, by loving other people well, karma is going to come around and it's going to hook you up and eventually you're going to develop a reputation of a great person to have on a team because you add value and you will have no shortage of opportunity. That book is unbelievable and is required reading for anyone, I think, building a business. Yeah, I just recently reread it. That's one of the, that along with another book on our list today is one of my like yearly reads. Yeah, so number two, you want to grab the second one? Yeah, the second one is one you've heard us mention today. You've heard us mention in the past. You've heard me mention on other podcasts that I've been on. It's been mentioned millions of times by millions of people because it is a super popular book that has stood the test of time. It's a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. It is a very old book that, is still as relevant today as it was when it first came out and is still recommended today by millions of people because the stuff in that book is basically social skills 101. It is how to approach life and relationships for not only business, but I think personal life, but it is geared towards business relationships more than anything, I think. Yeah, well, that book, my grandpa recommended that I read it when I was like, you know, 14, 15 years old and it was probably the best piece of advice I didn't take when I read that book, I only read it a few years ago, 
I never read it because the title, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Such a douchey title. I read the title and was like, ugh. I don't need to win friends. Yeah, that sounds manipulative and it sounds like a loser's book. It's not a loser's book. It's amazing. And that's one of the reasons it's probably the best-selling self-help book of all time. I think without even doing the research, I can pretty much guarantee that it's the best-selling self-help book of all time. It's great. And it's not about being manipulative. It's not about swindling people or, you know, tricking them. It's about being a good person and about how to love people well. And I'm not embarrassed to say I cried. There was a section where I cried in that book and I've only cried maybe two or three times in a book in my life. Unbelievable. Well, How to Win Friends and Influence People, by the way, has sold more than 30 million books, which is a lot of books. A lot of books. If you sold one thirtieth of that, you would be considered a successful author. Unbelievable. So the third book, and this is if you've read The Go-Giver, you've read How to Win Friends and Influence People, and you want more, boy, oh boy, do I have one for you. Do not start with this book. Read a few books before you tackle this one. It's called Integrity by Dr. Henry Cloud. This book dominated me absolutely ripped my face off and challenged me to reevaluate what I thought about the word integrity and what I thought about myself as a man. And my wife read it, same thing for her. Absolutely an incredible book about being good to other people. And that's as much as I'll say about the book. Other than don't start with that book if you're not a reader. (laughs) Yeah, it's intense, man. It's one of the most difficult books I've read, not because it's difficult to read, but because it's so personally challenging, it causes you to look inward and say, (laughs) I don't like what I see. And it's great. I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite books. When my wife read it about a year or two after I did, and we were able to come together over that book and discuss it, it was just awesome to have that common vocabulary Dr. Henry Cloud uses for integrity. Super, super valuable as far as this adding value and, you know, doing right by other people and growing your business in that way. So any final words on this topic you want to say before we wrap this episode up? Uh, Just that I really enjoyed this. This was really good for me. Frankly, if you ask my wife, what does Chris need to work on the most? She would say, oh, social skills. (laughs) Without a doubt, he can be a little prickly. (laughs) So yeah, like this is good stuff for me. A lot of the books I've read over the past couple of years have been focused on this. And again, if there are people from my past, um, (laughs) friends that I haven't talked to in a few years listening to this. I'm sure many of them are like, oh, praise Jesus. He (laughs) he has finally changed. So yeah, great stuff. I really was excited about recording this episode and it was encouraging to me. Like I said, as I'm preaching back to myself from 10, 15 years ago, it's a relief to finally have some grasp on this topic. So that is it for this episode of the Six Figure Home Studio podcast. Side note, funny story, uh, after this episode, I thought, do I own a physical copy of the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People? And the answer was actually no. I only have the audiobook of that. And then I thought, when do they actually release that book? And then I did a little research and it came out in 1936. It is hard to believe that a book written so long ago is still relevant today in 2018. And I kind of have a small book collection of just old books. I have a book from the 1800s. I have some books from the early 40s and 50s. And then I thought, 
how hard would it be to get a first edition copy <laughs> of How to Win Friends and Influence People? So on my way right now, straight from eBay, is a first edition from 1937 copy of How to Win Friends and Influence People for my book collection. So that's a fun little story there. And I'm not going to talk about how much that cost me <laughs> right now. And just to wrap this entire episode up, I want to address something that I've seen a few people mention in comments on the blog, on comments and emails, uh, and it's the topic of overwhelm. There have been a number of people that have talked about hearing the podcast, and it's been almost discouraging to them to the point where they feel like there's a 10,000 things they need to fix in their businesses. Because of this podcast, they're hearing something new every single week, and that elicits two sorts of responses that I do not like. The first is just overwhelmed to the point where you don't do anything at all, and the second is shiny object syndrome, where you just, every single week, you start working on a new thing. And you never get it to completion because the next week a podcast episode comes out and all of a sudden that's the new and most important shiny object in your life that you need to tackle right now. Both of those things are going to be detrimental to your business. And I want to address both of these issues right now. So whether you are getting overwhelmed every single episode or you're finding some new and shiny object to distract you every single episode, I want you to do this. Stop listening to this podcast right now. This will be the only time you ever hear me tell you this advice. And that is because I want you to take the 14 episodes we've recorded so far that we've released, and I want you to focus on one, one topic, one thing that you struggle with right now, and only focus on that one thing for now until it is at least to the point where you're happy with it, or at least you're on the road to recovery and you have things into place to fix the problems that you have for that specific area. And once you've checked that box, Go to another episode and then to another and don't come back to our new and live weekly episodes until you have gotten past that feeling of overwhelm or until you've gotten more control over your shiny object syndrome. For everyone else that's listening right now, if you don't have any of these issues, next week we have a new episode coming out that is all about dealing with burnout. How many times have you hit a point in your career where you just don't want to do anything? You just want to sit on the sofa, play video games 15 hours a day or you just want to hang out with friends, or you just want to travel, you don't want to do a damn thing, this is normal. But we're going to talk about how to get past that, how to get over burnout, and then also how to prevent burnout. I think this episode will be very valuable to a lot of people, including myself, when I go back and listen to the final edit of this episode, just as a reminder, because if you do not properly manage your energy levels, your enthusiasm, your motivation, and yourself, then it's going to be a long and difficult road ahead for you. So that is it for this episode. Until next time, happy hustling. Whoa.